You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today's business at hand is the business of sustainable communities. Um, Communities which are trying to incorporate into their policies and practices, the kind of things that help them become more uh, responsible in their resource usage and in building healthy communities, building healthy environments. Um, sustainability has been uh, an increasingly important aspect of community development and perhaps no other organization um, arguably has done more in this regard, certainly in the southeast, than the Metro Atlanta region's South Face Institute. And so I'm really pleased to have as my guest today, Stephanie Stuckey, who has personally done a great deal to promote community sustainability during her professional career and as her and in her role as the director of sustainability at South Face. Welcome to the Business Hour, Stephanie. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure. Well, Stephanie, let's uh, start out with the word, the very word. Um, I know that a lot of people um, uh, who have been involved in environmental uh, related matters, either professionally or as volunteers, or simply have kept themselves informed, understand the the notion of sustainability, but why not... um, uh, tell us a little bit about how you would describe sustainability as it relates to community uh, developments or uh, listeners that aren't familiar with it uh, can understand what all fits under that umbrella of sustainability. I'd be happy to. Sustainability at its core is conserving resources at the present time for future generations. It's that simple. It's making sure that we wisely use what we have today so that those who follow us are going to be able to reap those benefits as well. There's three core legs of a stool for sustainability that people generally refer to, and that's economics, environment, and... Social. Social. Yeah, I was trying to think of a third E, and equity comes (laughs) fairly close. It's the idea that you were thinking about the people aspect of sustainability. I think so often... The perception is that sustainability is solely focused on environmental initiatives, and that's not the case. It has to cost out. There has to be a financial case made for sustainability to be truly sustainable, in my opinion. And especially with your show being focused on business, you can't have a sustainable business environmentally if financially you can't support those initiatives. And then certainly being mindful of your customer base and also your staff. So the people component is is extremely important as well. Well, we find that there are more and more communities that are becoming aware of the cost, plural, of uh, energy, but also of other resources like water. And and on our program, we have had a couple of key figures in um, the American water resources community uh, on the program. And uh, that obviously is really important in states like California and in Texas where there are droughts and uh, where uh, uh, because agriculture is such an important part of it, uh, they have to be mindful of the use of water. Energy is something that affects every single state and every single nation, every single uh, community. And uh, the South Face Institute 
has been a leader in this regard. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the original focus might have been um, strictly um, residential and commercial, and I'm not sure which one was started first, you know, which was the chicken and which was the egg. Um, but there was a focus on uh, helping the building community build more energy-efficient um, buildings. And as I've sort of explained it to some people, sustainability was an outgrowth of environment in much the same way that environment was an outgrowth of ecology. It was a, 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 a larger hierarchy of, of factors that went into the discipline that focused on resources, focused on, on aspects of wildlife, and in uh, the case of urban uh, design, on people. And, and so it just became a broader and broader based uh, uh, notion that uh, you can have a healthier environment if you make your community more sustainable and you bear the title of sustainability director uh, with South Face so would you share uh, what you can about uh, something I just alluded to and how South Face has evolved in in the last 40 plus years and when it was that they decided that they would um, formalize their commitment to quote-unquote sustainability by having someone like you because if i'm not mistaken you are their 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 first director of sustainability is that correct that's correct and you were also um and we'll get to this this in a moment the uh um chief resiliency the uh inaugural chief uh um Resiliency, resiliency yes, mm-hmm. resilience officer uh, for the city of Atlanta. But let's go back to uh, South Face. Uh, how do you uh, view their evolution over the last uh, forty years, up until the point where they brought you in to help them uh, formalize their uh, commitment to sustainability? Well, I like how you frame the question and the overall context of what has happened in the environmental movement writ large in the United States. And you're right, it started as an ecological movement. And I think a lot of people in modern times, so I'm not going back to the days of Teddy Roosevelt and protecting national parks, and that certainly is a key part of the environmental movement in the U.S., but sort of the more modern era, it dates back to Rachel Carson and when Silent Spring came out. And I'm not sure the exact date, I'm thinking early 1960s. And so that's when there became an awareness of not just the environment, but I thought, you know, when I said the people component of sustainability is so critical, Rachel Carson's book, which talked about the impact of chemicals in our environment, and DDT in particular, and the the title refers to the fact that birds were not able to survive with DDT getting into their eggs. So they were no longer singing, so there was a silent spring. And the impact that DDT was having on human health. And so there was becoming this intense awareness, not only of our environment, but the human aspect and the impact it had on our health and our well-being. So that grew into a larger environmental movement that, that really piggybacked onto the civil rights movement. And the first Earth Day which was founded by Gaylord Nelson. He was a U.S. senator uh, from Wisconsin, and he started it as a sit-in for teachers to focus on the environment. And so 
it and that's really sort of what began the the more modern environmental movement and then that outcry of public activism around environmental initiatives led to major federal changes in regulations related to protecting our environment. So you saw in the early 1970s the EPA being created and the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is all of that was under the Nixon administration. So I try very hard when I talk to audiences to underscore that the environment should not be political. I know it has become politicized and climate change has become politicized, but so many of our leaders in the environmental movement were Republicans. And Teddy Roosevelt and Richard Nixon are are two in particular that were critical. So South Face was part of that era. So in the early 1970s, Dennis Creech, who was the founder of South Face, and some of his colleagues, they started putting solar on rooftops. And that's where the name South Face comes from, because you want to have a south-facing roof to take advantage of solar. So they were putting solar on commercial and residential properties and focusing on the built environment. And when you figure that the built environment accounts for about 40% of our energy consumption, that's a pretty important area to focus on. So they were looking at how we can make homes more energy efficient and water efficient. You talked about we being, you know, Atlanta and Georgia being in a drought prone area. So focused on water efficiency, energy efficiency, renewable energy, and how to save money. And so that built environment piece was very much at the core of South Face. And they, they focused on residential and, and commercial alike. I don't think there was like one over the other. And South Face has evolved into doing more policy-related work and doing more cities and communities-related work. So we have a policy director now. Uh, she's been on board for several years. And then my coming on board at South Face was a natural extension of doing more work in communities and partnering with local governments. You know, I wasn't uh, um, aware um, of Rachel Carson before I uh, attended school in Claremont, which is where she wrote Silent Spring. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and uh, certainly that would have uh, promoted a little bit of an atmosphere of environmental awareness that uh, influenced me. And because uh, we chatted um, before the program about um, my roots um, related to an interest in environmental matters, and uh, you know, so it uh, probably accelerated. Uh, intensified certainly my interest uh, in environmental matters because she left her her mark uh, in that community. There was a whole generation impacted by that book. Yeah, and uh, um, so I have uh, sustained, uh, if you will, my interest in uh, environmental matters, and I know that you have as well. And again, we'll get back to the evolution of Stephanie Stuckey uh, in environmental matters and sustainability, but. Let's take a moment. I, South Face has, um, even though it was a more simplified uh, uh, mission, uh, getting solar panels onto our residential and commercial structures, um, but energy uh, policy advocacy and overall technology support mm-hmm. to the building industry. Um, tell us about some of the uh, the programs at uh, South Face. Um, 
in, that range from uh, advanced commercial building initiatives to uh, the Atlanta Better Building Challenge, the BIT Challenge, uh, the Care and Conserve Plumbing Repair Program, the Green Infrastructure and Resilience Institute, the Green Building Programs, uh, Earthcraft, uh, and non um, non-profit grant programs that are provided. Maybe mm-hmm. you could just touch sure. on the highlights of some of those programs. Well, I think what weaves all these programs together is the fact that South Face has a very technical team of experts that can do boots on the ground, actual implementation of energy-related Projects, And that's what sets us apart from so many other environmental nonprofits, many of which focus on community organizing and policy development, all of which are very important. But you can't achieve impact unless you're actually able to do the boots on the ground work that South Face does. So most of our staff are engineers and technical experts. We have architects, landscape architects, people who really know how to get stuff done, right? And that's what these programs are about. We're going to take a break before we uh, start to drill down, but I'm going to point out that uh, if you want to learn more uh, to our listeners, go to www.southface.org. And uh, take a look at the uh, the facility itself at South Face oh, yeah. Institute. It's a very uh, environmentally sound uh, structure. We're here with Stephanie Stuckey, the Director of Sustainability Services for South Face. We'll be da- back to talk about sustainability and related matters right after this break. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So, I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At NYSET, We believe you are the future of surveying, and we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. 
NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Stephanie Stuckey, Director of Sustainability Services for South Face Institute. And we've been talking about the focus, the mission of South Face as a organization that is hands-on, boots on the ground, as Stephanie puts it, to help the building industry in particular with the design and the fabrication of residential structures and commercial structures for purposes of being more environmentally friendly, more energy efficient, and and more sustainable. If you're more sustainable, you're going to be a financially better built structure, uh, and, and hence the aspect of finance that's a part of uh, the sustainability model, as well as the, the show, social element uh, and the environmental health element uh, that, that all go together. Before the break, we were talking about some of the specific programs and partnerships uh, that sustainability has, uh, that South Ace has forged. Tell us a little bit about the Advanced Commercial Buildings Initiative, because South Ace truly deserves to be regarded as an organization that would foster advanced commercial mm-hmm. building initiatives. Yeah. There may be other organizations across the country that have focused in this area, but certainly none that I think have done a better job than South Face. Yeah, and I did want to just underscore one one point you made a second ago on the people aspect of these buildings that are more energy and water efficient is that they are healthier buildings. The air quality is better if you have buildings that have less uh, VOCs in the paint, if you have uh, well-sealed buildings but that also are allowed to breathe and to flow, that you have natural light coming in, that affects your mood. Uh, So human comfort and health with sustainable buildings is really an important aspect that often gets overlooked with all the other benefits that people generally talk about. So some of the programs that uh, South Face offers, the Atlanta Commercial Buildings Initiative, uh, Buildings Initiative, that's also um, aligned with the work that South Face has done with the City of Atlanta. So when I was head of sustainability and head of resilience for City of Atlanta, my number one partner externally was South Face Institute. And they worked with us on commercial building stock. The bulk of energy consumption in the built environment obviously is going to be in the large buildings, the large commercial buildings. And we're talking about 50,000 square feet and above. So what South Face can do is help with doing energy audits. So we do what's known as some of the professional level ASHRAE level one or ASHRAE level two. So these are professional audits and we will come in and we will make recommendations as to what upgrades should be made to make your building energy efficient and help do the return on investment so you can make wise financial decisions about what what makes the most sense. Tell Tell the listeners who ASHRAE is. Uh, it's the it's a it's a heating uh, and um, electric electrical 
it's kind of society the, the and I'm, I, I'm, I've got for that. The, the HAC uh, yeah. community. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the acronym, yeah, but I was it is to the Heating myself. and Electric Professional Association, and it is it, the it is the accepted industry standard for. For doing audits, it's like the good housekeeping yeah. uh, for uh, the the um, um, heating and ventilation yeah. uh, air conditioning community. And there's different levels, so you can do a lower grade that obviously will just focus on the the, the higher returns and the basic more simple things that you can do, but you can do a more intense. So, you know, like for your home, you're not going to necessarily need uh, something super sophisticated. Uh, so, but we also do residential audits. And then, so we'll make recommendations and we have vendors with whom we work. We're very careful not to be in the business of promoting one vendor over the other, but we can say, here are vendors that we know are going to do good quality work, and you you make a decision based on what is the best fit for you. And I, I don't want to turn this into uh, an infomercial, but I uh, would encourage anyone out there who has uh, is the owner of a business or uh, has oversight for commercial or residential structures, um, so private residence, um, but also... If you know someone, if you have a spouse or if you uh, own a business and you own the building, uh, definitely check into South Face if you've ever thought about making your, your, your structure more energy efficient or just more efficient in terms of its environmentally healthy is where I'm uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Aiming. Um, and not just the equipment upgrades, but also operations. So the bit building program, that focuses on building operations. So we'll come in and make recommendations about how existing building stock can improve its operations so you're going to see uh, less energy and water consumption. I think the Care and Conserve Plumbing Repair Program is one that might be of some interest to people because we go into low-income communities. We're doing that program right now with the Department of uh, Watershed Protection for City of Atlanta. So it's a it's a contract we have with them, and we will go into low-income homes and we'll do basic repairs, mostly plumbing leaks, but you can also do uh, some upgrades to help their housing be more water efficient, and so they're going to save money on their water bills. So that's a program we're really proud of. Green Infrastructure and Resilience Institute is one that's grant-funded right now, and we have a workforce education component to that, which I'm very proud of. So South Face also does workforce training and certification training. A lot of professionals will go through our programming to understand how to do some of these audits or how to um, upgrade uh, HVAC. So we offer we offer training. So the green infrastructure is ways that you can manage stormwater overflow or combined sewer system overflow in an environmentally sensitive way using natural um, components. So you could have a bioswale that's going to absorb water, or you can have permeable pavers that will allow water to naturally infiltrate without having to build what they call heavy gray infrastructure, more piping. So we do that in um, a variety of settings. Uh, so we've got the green infrastructure work. And then the Atlanta Better Buildings Challenge is a voluntary program that was funded by the Department of Energy. And Atlanta, City of Atlanta is the number one city for square footage committed to the program. So you make a commitment to reduce energy consumption and water consumption 20% by 2020. That program is winding down. We've been doing that program in Atlanta for over eight years. 
It's been incredibly successful. Were you in the position of chief resilience officer at the time that Mm -hmm. the city uh, uh, initiated its... uh, Not when it was initiated. That was my predecessor, Denise Quarles, who was director of sustainability before me. But I was proud to carry on that program. And we worked closely with the community improvement districts. So Central Atlanta Progress and the Buckhead and Midtown community business districts in uh, getting commercial building stock enrolled in the program and committed to reducing their energy and water consumption. What's great about that program is voluntary. So nobody's forcing you to do it, and, and it's a competition. So we're competing with other cities to see which cities can have the most building stock. T- tell us about um, South Face's um, involvement with the Earthcraft program, which has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. This is a program that South Face developed with the Atlanta Home Builders Association. And I'm sure most listeners are familiar with LEED certification. And that's a green building certification. It's fairly complex and it costs money. You have to pay a fee to be LEED certified. And it's a national program, LEED is, run by the U.S. Green Building Council. So South Face and the Atlanta Home Builders Association saw a need for a more regional certification that would take into account some of the specifics of a southern climate. We are more drought prone. We have humidity in the air, which impacts our heating and our ventilation systems. And we have different types of materials that we source locally, different types of timber that we source for our building stock. So we wanted a certification that would be more southern-based, regional-based. And so that's what Earthcraft is. It's been extremely uh, successful. And so we offer that certification. You can do an Earthcraft certification in addition to LEED or instead of LEED. You, you, so it's you, another option. Yeah, you mentioned lead the leadership in energy and, and efficiency design uh, certification program. If you want a lead certification, uh, South Face can help you in that regard That's as right. well. And mm-hmm. they, they even do. offer programs or seminars on uh, lead certification. Yeah. yeah, we offer trainings in that, and we can do uh, certification. We can also refer you. So we offer both certifications, but Earthcraft is the one that we developed, and... Obviously, that's one that we're going to promote. Sure. Yeah. Um, the nonprofit grants uh, program, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it started out as Grants to Green. It was a partnership with the Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta and funded by the Candida Fund. And it's now transitioned to being housed solely at South Face, and we've rebranded it as the Good Use Program. We work with nonprofits and faith-based institutions, and we help them do an audit for energy efficiency and water efficiency, and then we'll help them with the upgrades and the retrofits that they need. So we do ask for a match in funding, but but a lot of the work that's done is grant funded, so the costs are reduced. If if there's a nonprofit or a, a faith based institution listening, just get in touch with South Face. You can go on our website and you can contact uh, you can contact us and and we'll we'll give you more information. We can send you sort of a summary of what the expectations are. But our website also talks in detail about that program. So you can have faith based. Um Structures like schools and mm-hmm. uh, churches, churches that are more energy efficient, more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here with Stephanie Stuckey. We've been talking about um, the South Face Institute's 
focused on sustainability. We'll be back to talk with Stephanie more about that and her personal career right after this break. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Want to ace your upcoming survey exam? The NLC Prep Combo has everything you need to help you crush your upcoming FS, PS, Florida PSM, California PLS, or Texas RPLS exam. Combos include a full-length practice exam book with the same number of questions and category types as the actual exam, a pre-programmed HP 35 with 17 programs to solve those time-consuming equations such as COGO, triangles, traverses, and more in seconds. A complete online course is included that covers every topic of the exam with videos, workbooks, quizzes, and a full-length practice exam that simulates the computer-based format of the FS and PS exam. That gives you not just one, but two full-length practice exams to help fully prepare you for test day. Visit us at nlcprep.com for more information and let us help you crush your exams. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Department of Energy. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we've been talking to Stephanie Stuckey. She's the Director for Sustainability Services for South Face Institute, and South Face Institute has spent more than 40 years focusing on matters related to energy efficiency in the built environment, uh, residential structures and commercial structures, and as Stephanie pointed out, even uh, faith-based organizations that have uh, churches and or uh, faith-based schools that want to be more sustainable uh, can work with South Face uh, to become more sustainable. Stephanie, um, how does um, South Face work uh, in the area of public policy advocacy on the state and the local level? A lot of our advocacy at the state level is going to be at the Public Service Commission, and that's the statewide entity that regulates our energy, and specifically they regulate Georgia Power. And so that is the utility under the Georgia Territorial Act that provides energy for all the major metropolitan areas. Every three years, Georgia Power has to submit to the Georgia Public Service Commission for approval what's known as the Integrated Resource Plan. They call it the IRP. 
And that is how Georgia will be, or Georgia Power, will source its energy for the next 20 years. So they update this plan every three years. So their energy mix could be, it's what we have in Georgia right now. It's a mix of coal and nuclear and renewable energy. So solar, we've got got some hydro, we've got natural gas. And so what does that mix look like? That obviously changes based on consumption needs and, and on what's being supplied. We're seeing more nuclear because we're adding two units at plant Vogel right now, units three and four. And Southface uh, advocates before the Public Service Commission and these IRP proceedings, and then also related to that is a rate case where depending on what the energy usage is going to be, sometimes Georgia Power will come back and say we want an adjustment in rates. So that the rate case is actually going on right now. So we go before these proceedings. You can intervene and you can request it's, it's almost like a, I'm a lawyer by training, so it's akin to a, a proceeding in a court where you would have people file proceedings and they want to come in and they want to testify and they want to argue for and present evidence that the, the final product should be different. So Southface will, will advocate for energy efficiency and renewable energy and also being mindful of energy burden on low-income residents. And so as a result of our advocacy and advocacy of other partners in the environmental community, uh, we have been successful and also in the business community. Georgia Solar Energy Association is a key partner in the work we do. We've been able to get more megawatts of renewable energy in Georgia Power's portfolio, most recently in the IRP proceeding that that just concluded. So Georgia Power continues to expand their renewable energy, and they continue to expand energy efficiency programs. And so I think it's it's a result of a lot of factors, but I'd like to think that South Face has been a key partner at the table and, and working with utility and working with our elected officials to achieve that. We will sometimes go before the state legislature, less so in that space. We're very strategic and look really at what impacts our work. So if there's something related to energy efficiency or solar in the in the Georgia legislature, and we feel like our voice needs to be at the table and that need isn't being met by other partners, we might go before the Georgia legislature. And then local government is definitely a sweet spot for us. You you definitely have cultivated some very strategic partnerships. In fact, uh, you had mentioned, uh, speaking of the Public Utilities Commission, that there is a project that you were just working on uh, Yesterday, the Clean Energy uh, Roadshow. Yeah, down in uh, Macon. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. So Commissioner Tim Eccles, who's on the Georgia Public Service Commission, is also an advocate for electric vehicles and alternative fuel vehicles. He personally drives several EVs. And he, for the past 10 years, has promoted a, an event, a series of events called the Clean Energy Roadshow, where he goes all across Georgia. And this year, we've had two of the roadshow stops in Atlanta. We've also been in Albany, Savannah, Augusta, and the last stop was Macon yesterday. And so I have somewhat of a different hat in participating in the roadshow. Part of the portfolio of projects that I do at South Face is running Clean Cities Georgia. That is a program that's funded by the Department of Energy. It was founded in 1972, so the program's been around for a while. And we promote alternative fuels. And the, the, the logic behind that is we want to reduce reliance on foreign 
fuel consumption, and we want to have domestic fuels. And we also want to improve our air quality, improve human health, and promote local economy. So the fuel types that we promote are uh, LNG and CNG, so those are natural gases. We also liquefied or compressed natural gas and renewable natural gas, which is often, often derived from landfills. Ethanol, which is derived from corn, and the various derivatives of ethanol, like E85, is you know one of the ethanol products that we'll promote, and propane, and of course electric vehicles, which is something a lot of people are interested in. And so we work with with fleets, we work with local governments, we work with large companies, in helping them transition to alternative fuels in a way that's going to make economic sense for them. And then we also work on the infrastructure. You have to have fueling stations and charging stations to meet the needs of these fleets. So Clean Cities Georgia, I I serve as their coordinator. And on our board, we have UPS, we have Cox Automotive, we have DeKalb County Fleet Director, uh, we have City of Atlanta's on the board. So we have the head of the Propane Association of Georgia, we have Atlanta Gaslight and Georgia Power represented on the board. So we're very, uh, we like to say we're fuel agnostic. It's the right fuel to meet the right need of whatever fleet we're working with or individual working with. But the whole idea is to transition to cleaner burning fuels and to reduce our reliance on foreign, foreign fuels. You, um, you mentioned, um, the, um, the project, um, the roadshow mm-hmm. in, in in Macon. Uh, do you spend uh, a, a lot of time? I I, I see um, much of what you're doing is public information related, mm-hmm. uh, educating the public about all these different aspects of uh, energy efficiency and and, and sustainability. Um, tell us about uh, the range of uh, communications and by the way this very program which is helping to spread the word uh, by virtue of having you tell us about your work with South Face uh, and uh, today you get the Trooper Award um, Stephanie y- utilized alternative transportation she rode on Armada rail system and braved cool temperatures, some of the coolest temperatures <laughs> of the year, uh, to meet with me. Uh, so uh, I, I think you uh, are walking the walk and yeah. not just talking the talk. Exactly. You've uh, got to. So you, you really have to understand what you're promoting. I drive an electric vehicle. I have solar panels on my house. I did energy efficiency upgrades last year. So I really do try to uh, promote what I'm talking about so it comes from an authentic voice, but also so I understand what the challenges are. I I have had adventures in EV charging, as I like to say, where just this past week I was stuck in Garfield, Georgia, and I had like 10 miles on my car, and I had to go charge in a carport. Uh, so <laughs> I've been there, done that. And that's an important part of being informed on what it actually takes to, to make some of these initiatives a reality. I'm going to make an allusion to something that is going to remain a mystery for a few minutes, but... Um Stephanie uh, will have some influence over one retail group that I can imagine might have charging stations in its future, but we won't talk about that just yet. We're going to go back to the earliest stages of when you became involved uh, 
in the area of healthy environment and maybe prior to sustainability, but what would you consider to be those earliest uh, embryological stages, if you might, uh, when you became interested in the uh, the built environment, in environmental health, and in sustainability, and you have a great story uh, that you can tell about uh, um, making a visit to a, um, a beautiful island off the coast of Georgia with your dad, but it could be that your roots go back even further. So within that context, mm-hmm. Stephanie, tell us about how you evolved and when it was, and it might have been as an early child that you uh, sort of developed an environmental consciousness. Let's talk about that. Well, I'd encourage our listeners to think about this for themselves as well. When I give speeches about environmentalism or sustainability, I ask people to reflect upon what is their earliest memory related to the environment. And it's almost always people will reflect upon as a child going for a walk in nature or being quiet in a public park and being that that being a source of serenity and so i think that's just true of everyone that the natural environment is just a source for inspiration and peace and clarity and serenity and that's that's pretty much where everyone who cares about these issues derives that strength and we all have it within us i think everyone you can say you're an environmentalist uh my family has a timber company small timber company family owned third generation i was meeting with the the head forester our president yesterday we were having lunch and he was talking about how you know hunters are environmentalist uh he spends so much time out in in the woods and my son who's 17 i would never be able to get him up at 5 a.m and go out in the woods if it were not that he was hunting deer so it's just whatever can connect us to nature, I think, is just grounding. And so that was my beginning as well. I spent a lot of time with my father, who Billy Stuckey, who was a five-term U.S. congressman in the 1960s and 70s. And he was around when the EPA was created. He served under Nixon. We're from middle and south Georgia. And his district included the Georgia Golden Isles, the Georgia coast. And he made Cumberland Island a protected nat- national seashore. He also made the Okefenokee Swamp a protected national wildlife refuge. And when he looks back on what he did in Congress, and he did a lot that was not related to environmental issues, he will say those two initiatives were is what he is most proud of. And it's really interesting because he never ran on an environmental platform. That was not what he was about. He's a businessman. He runs the family business, the Stuckey Stores. Uh, he ran that for many, many years until recently. And so he, he does not consider himself an environmentalist. And so that's what I want to stress is that you don't have to wear that title or, or proclaim it or preach it to do it and live it. And that's what's really impactful is you just interweave it into what you do and you recognize it can make sense for for what you're doing. There, um, there are an increasing number of people. Um, uh, I'll, I'll use one example uh, that's uh, maybe near and dear to our GM here at uh, America's Web Radio, but farmers who mm-hmm. understand the value of uh, protecting the environment yeah. so they can s- sustain their farms. And it might be uh, taking a walk through a cornfield uh, where they just uh, thought, "Man, this is beautiful." Yeah, we're, my good. family, we're tree farmers. We yeah. grow, we grow loblolly pine. 
And one of the things I've been talking about a lot and would love for, for this to take on, but all these corporations are making commitments to sustainability. They want to be 100% clean energy. So they buy renewable energy credits that are solar. Well, why aren't they buying carbon sequestration registry credits from timber farmers? Because timber farmers are harvesting carbon. We're doing a great deal of work to improve air quality. So I just think we need to look at all the above and not just consider the usual suspects when it comes to the environment. We're going to take a break on that note. That was a a very uh, good point. We're here with Stephanie Stuckey. We've been talking about matters related to sustainability. We'll be back with Stephanie right after this break. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Stephanie Stuckey, who is currently the Director for Sustainability Services with South Face Institute, and we've been talking about the range of commitments uh, to energy efficiency and sustainability that um, has been a part of the South Face mission for over 40 years. But before the break, we were talking a little bit about Stephanie's personal commitment to uh, environment and sustainability. And um, you tell a great story about how your father helped um, create the national seashore designation for Cumberland Island, which is a national parks designation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a... Uh, a fantastic uh, legacy to uh, you know to, to Very have. Proud of that. Um, if you've ever uh, if you've ever been to uh, Cumberland Island, you'll know that it's a, a nicely preserved island with uh, wild horses and other wildlife. Um, and if you haven't been, you should go. Um, you were also the chief resilience officer for the city of Atlanta. And before we talk about uh, that role. Um, 
and how it is that we came as a city to beat out San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland, uh, often recognized as extremely environmentally oriented uh, cities. Um, but before we talk about how you helped uh, us beat out uh, San Francisco, Seattle, <laughs> and Portland uh, as a recognized leader in sustainability space, uh, tell us uh, first to find resilience which we alluded to earlier is kind of a part of the evolution of ecology, environment, yeah. sustainability. Resilience could be included uh, as part of that evolution. Tell us about how you, you personally define resilience. Then tell us about your role as the chief resilience officer for the city of Atlanta. Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, an evolution, and it's along the spectrum. I like to first talk about sustainability and then how resilience differs from that. So I defined sustainability earlier, but to give a little more detail to it, sustainability is, as the word connotes, sustaining. So if you experience, if a community experiences some type of, of sudden shock, like there's a hurricane or tornado, then you're going to have a, a dip where services may be stopped, operations may be stopped, there may be some destruction in the physical and the natural environment. And so you've got to get back to the level of operations and repairing the physical and the natural damage to the level that you were before. You get right back to where you were. You you get to the status quo. So that's sustainability. It's sustaining at the level that you already are. Resilience is in essence bouncing back. It's going beyond getting to the status quo to where you were before and it's recognizing that that shock impacted operations and had such a, a, a de- devastating impact on the natural and built environment for a reason. So analyzing what are the underlying stresses and vulnerabilities in a community that made that shock have the impact that it did and how can we learn from that build up so we're actually improving so I I have this great graph I show and I hope I can do it justice talking about it where sustainability you have a dip and then you get right back to where you were before resilience you have a dip and then you you expand it's an upward trajectory you're learning from that mistake and you're becoming more powerful, stronger, better able to adapt and address future shocks because we're always going to have shocks. You can't prevent the fact that there may be a drought or a heat wave or a tornado. And it's not just weather-related impacts that we're talking about. It could be a cyber attack. It could be a terrorist attack. It could be civil unrest. It could be an election that didn't go the way people may think. And so suddenly you have a a change in leadership that causes disruption in how society functions. It's a myriad of things that can cause these shocks. So cities that are more resilient, communities that are more resilient are going to be able to bounce back better. So that's huge. How do you go about that? So I went from focusing on environmental initiatives as director of sustainability to this resilience work, which is so much broader. You're looking at what are the vulnerabilities that really impact society that make it hard for us to bounce back. And a lot of that's going to be the social elements and the the infrastructure of society. So 
we were looking at income inequality and access to jobs and economic opportunity, uh, affordable housing, poor infrastructure, our aging roads and bridges and housing stock. So all of those factors, but I think what's also really important to focus on is how the two merge, how the human component merges with the physical component and thinking very thoughtfully about how do you design cities, how do you design communities in a way that fosters social cohesion? Because if you have some sort of disaster, if you have a shock, the communities that do the best are the ones where the people are connected. And so what can you do to foster that? And and I'll give an example. There was a heat wave in Chicago and it was devastating. People die, you know, thousands of people died. There are two neighborhoods adjacent to one another. Socioeconomically, they were pretty much identical. One fared so much better in the heat wave than the other. And so uh, social psychologists went and analyzed the two communities and tried to figure out why did one fare better than the other? Because on the surface, they are almost identical. What they found is the community that fared better had more sidewalks, had more public parks, had more local businesses like grocery stores. And that meant there were opportunities for the communities to get to know one another and build social cohesion. So when the heat wave struck, neighbors knew one another and knew to look out for one another and took care of each other. So that's what resilience at its core is all about. Yeah, it's that interrelationship between those factors that uh, you talked about uh, related to sustainability and preparing for that long-term yeah. sustainability uh, while looking at those stressors and um, being able to uh, to, thw- to thwart those, uh, those mm-hmm. stressors, be prepared for those stressors. You know, you um, have a background in law. Yes. Tell 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 me about uh, how your uh, background may have played into your current uh, uh, role or your other post attorney roles. Yeah. Uh, and I would imagine public policy is certainly one of those areas. But tell us about uh, some of the others. Yeah, I love being a lawyer. I went to the University of Georgia Law School like my father did. And whether you actually practice law or not, I think having a, a degree like law or business. Journalism. There's a lot of degrees where you learn skill sets that are transferable. And and we were talking earlier about how you've got a background in psychology. I mean, so many of these skills that you learn in school can be applied to a variety of different careers. So what I would urge listeners, and I'm sure many of them have done this in their own careers, educational background gives you tools and, and technical skills, and you can apply them to a variety of different careers, even if – the training you received was for a specific career, but I use my law degree almost every day, even though I'm not actively practicing law, but I did for quite a while. I tried cases. I was a criminal defense attorney. I did divorce law. I did family law. I did guardianships. Uh, so it was fascinating. I loved it. Uh, but I now, I've been doing, I did some environmental law for a while, and I actually now teach one semester a year at the University of Georgia School of Law, and I teach urban resilience and climate change. Oh, that must be yeah. a, a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, and I'm going to be at Vanderbilt Law School in a couple of weeks giving a guest lecture on urban resilience. So I still like to to stay engaged. Uh, and what I like to teach my students, I've only done one semester, so I'm coming up on my next one in, in, the, in the spring, is 
the practical aspect of law, not just theoretical teaching in a classroom, but the work I did was very much hands-on. Here's policies you can implement at the local level to have an impact on urban resilience. What did you study as an undergraduate? I was a French major. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of a good liberal arts degree. <laughs> that is so interesting because I was actually, as you were talking about uh, how you could apply your academic uh, background to in a variety of ways, I was about to say, well, if you had a background in French literature, it might not be as easy. But yeah. I, too, believe in a liberal arts uh, background it just uh, as a foundation for learning and uh, I don't think there should be any restrictions on undergraduates for mm-hmm. just studying anything uh, that would appear to be interesting. And later on, you can fashion it into a more applied uh, uh, career. Stephanie, I we've agree. reached uh, the end of our uh, our program. I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to be on the Business Hour and for shedding light on uh, sustainability, environmental health, uh, resilience and uh, just for being my guest. It's been a delight. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and the radio next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.